and where he's brought us from, and uh, then we're going to have a bit of a reflection on what's, what's um, driving all of this, and then finally we're going to have sort of a, a rubber hits the road time, where we will lay before you some practical ways in being involved in what we sense as a leadership that God is leading us in this year. Before I um, begin, let me pray. Father, we pray that you will give us your vision for your glory, for your purpose, so that your name would be glorified. We pray for our own hearts this morning that you will give us a glimpse of what you're doing and how we can join you in what you're doing, both in the lives of the people that we come in contact with, but also in the community and even the ends of the earth. We pray this for your, in your name. Amen. Uh, this week I've been reflecting on a passage that's become probably one of my famous, uh, favorite passages, uh, particularly since I started um, being involved in full-time ministry. And that is, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's become a, a, a catch cry for me personally as I think about ministry and think about vision and think about what God is calling uh, us to do as a church. Because it's a constant reminder for me that God's hand is in things and He's involved. But unless He's involved, it is absolutely pointless. There's no purpose for it. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens this morning, uh, this Sunday, uh, is whole focus is to lay before you what we're really are about as a church, but also this year what our heartbeat is or focus is. And in order to do that, it's sometimes it's very good. I don't know what you're like, but being a 37-year-old uh, male who still thinks he's a bit young, uh, I sometimes think, oh, what do I need to look in the past for? It's all about the future. It's all about going ahead. But see, the thing is, uh, for people like me who are arrogant and think that I've got all the answers and the vision, Sometimes looking behind and looking in the past reminds me that actually, Shabu, God's always been at work. You're just joining Him. So, just very quickly, I want to share something with you. In about uh, 1990, two churches joined together to become what is known to you as Canterbury Gardens Community Church, or affectionately known as CGCC or CGCCCs, uh, if you can get along with the syllables. It took about 10 months for God to actually lead a team to the property that we are on currently. And it was a, a, a sole focus. Uh, this week I read a 16-page document on the history of Canterbury Gardens. And it was uh, really challenging for me, but also uh, a great joy. Because one thing was very clear, and this is what was written in there. As it was quoted, God's hand was clearly evident in the negotiations in regards to getting this property. As they worked through what would it mean to be a church. And now they planted this church. Two churches joined together to plant and they planted and they bought this land and it was known as Canterbury Gardens Chapel. Uh, the whole aim was to name it after the shopping centre around the corner here, where we know. Now, try explaining Canterbury Gardens where we are to Melbourneites. It is the most confusing conversation you have. Because you say, where are you from? Oh, we're from Canterbury Gardens. Oh, Canterbury Gardens, as in Canterbury? No, in Kilsyth. Where's Kilsyth? It's between Lilydale and anyway, it doesn't matter. Eventually, Canterbury Gardens Chapel became Canterbury Gardens Community Church. But the whole purpose and the vision of the leadership of the time was to endeavor to serve God for His glory in this place, in this area, in Kilsyth. And they were strategic about buying this property because at that stage, there wasn't any land or as in houses. It was right in the middle of a housing estate, and that's why they wanted to purchase this land. And finally, they moved in here. In, on April 7, 1991. 
Now, that's a brief history of what God has been doing and has constantly been doing to be part of his work in this current area, but also to the ends of the earth as we've sent people out on mission. Now, fast forward a few years later, uh, and you have two pastors who have no clue uh, becoming pastors of this church, as John uh, and myself. And God uh, changed things. It was a difficult time, and, but God shaped and formed and continued to guide us for his purpose, for his glory here in this place and around the area. And God in his mercy and grace uh, over the last few years is what we've seen. We've seen God move many young families into our church family and you hear that even now as you sit in your seats. As they're getting a bit restless going, well, how long is this guy going to talk? I want to go to kids' church. Uh, God has also brought along uh, and extended our pastoral team with Nathan joining us. We've also seen a change in the leadership, in the eldership uh, and deacons and as men have stepped down because they have served faithfully for the glory of God in this place. And they knew it was time for a new season. And God has raised up those leaders. We've seen people come into the kingdom of God and that has been a great joy. People who have been far from God and now in a relationship with Him. We've seen people being baptized. In particular, the last few years, we've probably had more baptisms than normal because God is moving in the hearts for people to be obedient to His call. And in recent times, God in His grace has been forcing us to reconnect with our community at least the very least at the moment, through the chaplains and other ways. And it is a testimony of what God has been doing. And in recent years, we even had, last year, we sent off Dan and Emily, and that was part of God's work of reaching the nations for his glory. And one of the things has been that as a leadership, when we sort of put this vision out, we talked about declaring Christ, discipling people to know Jesus, and that was the whole vision. That was what we asked you to join us in. Now, I'm not here to tell you everything was smooth sailing. There were challenging times. That happens in any church life. But one thing was very clear. God was involved and God's hand was in it. And in his power and his grace, he was moving people to join in that mission. And he brought people from all different backgrounds. There are people here from different church backgrounds. Different people who have been as a follower of Jesus for a long time or just recent converts. And we as an eldership, as a leadership, we are very thankful for what God has done. We also thank you in joining us in this mission. Now, the paragraph I read earlier was a brief history of Canterbury Gardens. And one of the things on the last page was this statement. And I'm just going to read it out to you. As I read it out to you, I want you to have a look at this thing up here on the wall. Let me read it. With all that had occurred, quote, with all that had occurred in the church, membership decreased by nearly a third. Therefore, it was important to refocus on the reasons why God had called the fellowship or this church to Colchester Road, namely to be a community of Christians in a new area which desperately needs to hear of the love of God in Christ. The fellowship had survived early times of upheaval in 1969 and 1982. So now, by submitting to God's authority... And being obedient to the Spirit's leading, there is a confidence that CGCC will grow to become a beacon for the Lord Jesus Christ in Kilsart South and in the years ahead. That statement was written many years ago. This statement that's up here has been something that we've been uh, actually presented to you a few years ago, and that was independent from actually reading that document. 
for a young person like me, it was a reminder by God to say, hey, Shabu, I'm already at work. You're just joining me. And friends, this year, our heart is simply this. We want you to come and join us in this mission. We want you to come and be part of making Christ known wherever God has placed you and you yourselves being transformed by His Spirit and living for His glory. Whether if it's at home, school, in your workplaces, or whether if it is even geographically here or maybe even some of you to the ends of the earth. And this is going to be the catch cry. This is something that we will constantly come back to and ask as well. If you are involved in a ministry or if you are thinking of starting a ministry, my encouragement to you is to use this statement and ask, is this what we're doing? Are we doing this? Now, we would invite you to join us in this. But remember, unless the Lord builds the house, we will labor in vain. And that is what we are calling for to the Lord. And in a little while, we'll be unpacking that a bit more in detail. And our heart is to be a church that is faithful to His calling. Because guess what? It's something I'm well aware of. Is God does not need Canterbury Gardens Community Church. His purpose will still be achieved because He is God. But He's inviting all of us to be in this adventure. All of us, every single one of you. And we as a leadership want to ask you to join us. And when I talk about church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you as people of God. Will you join with us? Will you join with us and consider and prayerfully what would it look like to exist, to make Christ known, being transformed by His Spirit for His glory this year? Will you do that with us? I'm going to invite Mike, who's going to come and pray for us uh, at prayer of thanksgiving before the kids head out. Thanks, Mike. Hey, church. As a leadership, this is a, a special day for us. We're excited to be able to share with you what God has laid on our heart. Um, before, I, before I do uh, lead us in prayer, I'd just like to read you a passage from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 is one of my favourite passages because what we see there is... God's people en masse come together to offer him a sacrifice of praise. The background is that David had been told, uh, you're not the man to build my temple by God. Your son Solomon will build this temple. So David kind of uh, organises a mass um, offering to help pay for the building that's going to take place by his son Solomon. Let me read for you. It's one of my favourite passages and it always brings a lump to my throat when I read it because you see God's people en masse united in service to him. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of the assembly and David said, Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted above head over all. Both riches and honour come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of you, and... Sorry, and of your own have we given you. 
For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyfully to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers kept forever such promises and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Now listen to this last verse. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly bless the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they bowed their heads and paid homage to their Lord and their King. Let's give thanks to our God now. Oh, Father God, we are humbled to be in your presence this morning. You who are King of kings and Lord of lords, creator and sustainer of all things, yet you desire a relationship with us. You know all things, you see all things, your power is all-encompassing, yet knowing us as you do, you still love us. An all-consuming fire, a righteous judge, a hater of sin you are, yet your grace overflows toward us. You, O God, do not change. You abound in righteousness. You dwell in unapproachable light. Yet all who seek you will find you. You are perfect in holiness, pure in all your ways steadfast in character, yet you are long-suffering, merciful, and near to those who call upon you. O God, you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. You sustain us when all seems hopeless. You uphold us with your mighty right arm when we have come to the end of ourselves. You are a father to the fatherless, a comforter when we're in distress. Because of your great love for us, Jesus came. A saviour who would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So that we would receive what we do not deserve. The salvation of our souls. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honour and glory forever and ever. And they all said, Amen. Just take a couple of moments amongst yourselves to say good morning and we'll be back with you shortly. Okay, if we could uh, make our way back to our seats, that would be wonderful. Let's uh, pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your precious word, which tells us about our precious Saviour, 
and your wonderful grace uh, to us through him. Father, we pray that as we just consider today what it means to make Christ known, the Father, by your Spirit, you will encourage us. By your Spirit, you will convict us and cause us to action within our workplaces, within our homes, within our schools, within this community. Father, it's our heart's desire to make Christ known. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a little bit of a student of history. Uh, when I was a, a teenager, the history was more about sports history. Okay. Who won Wimbledon? Who won the Rugby World Cup? Who won the Cricket World Cup? We won't talk about cricket today, but uh, besides that, my, my student of history was things that related to sport. Uh, now I've become a little bit more mature, a little bit greyer, a little bit wiser. I'm starting to understand a little bit more about world history, about events, about biblical history. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to study these things. And as you go through history, sometimes you, you grab different phrases, you grab different historical events which actually encompass what is going on at the time. For instance, during World War II, the, the famous speeches by Winston Churchill encapsulated that time of history. I won't try and do a Churchill... Uh, type speech, but I will give you his quote. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Churchill encouraged a nation to action with quotes like that. In what was dire circumstances, he spoke and addressed the people predominantly through the radio and says, we will not surrender. We will never surrender. And it motivated a nation that, by all accounts, should have been wiped off the face of the earth to forge for victory in Europe. A little bit later, a fellow by the name of Martin Luther King had that famous saying, I have a dream. His dream was for social reform, for equality of black and white, for equality of all humanity. And his speeches, his enthusiasm, his passion flowed out to a nation that actioned that dream. He didn't see the realisation of that in his lifetime, but the dream became a reality. A little bit earlier, a different Martin Luther, a Martin Luther of the 16th century during the Reformation. If some of you may not know what the Reformation is. The Reformation was the point in time in church history where the importance of Scripture was upheld to a new meaning, where what it means to be saved was defined as the Bible had stated. The salvation was 
a gift of God's grace through faith. You see, Martin Luther, he was a a Catholic monk. And he was wrestling with the issues of what he saw in his church tradition, saying, this is far from what I read in Scripture. And he started writing. He wrote a a thesis, a 95-point thesis of all things he did not agree with in relation to his religious experience. And he nailed them onto a wall in a church. And it basically was a challenge to the Catholic Church at the time to saying, get back to the Bible. Get back to understanding what God's grace is all about. Get back to understanding what salvation is about. And so they called him. They called him to what they call anathanism to condemn him as a heretic. That's the Catholic Church. And when he was in this council, this is the thing he said. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. Grab this statement. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Folks, we should rejoice in things like that because we stand here based on men like this who are captive to the word of God and have given us the word of God. From that point in time, the word of God became common to people, translated into a common language, and we could read ourselves the gracious gift of God. The Lord used Luther in a powerful way to provide his written word to the common people. The gospel of grace was reignited in the hearts of many. A flame started to burn in Europe through the Protestant Reformation. Where God started building his church again. We are clear beneficiaries of what Luther did in the Reformation. And we need to acknowledge the centrality of God's word in our lives. If you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because not only Martin Luther, but prior to him, Paul the Apostle, called us to the same sort of thing as followers of Christ. The historical bridge here of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is Paul is explaining what the eternal hope in his heart is in the first 10 verses of chapter 5. And he makes this astonishing statement, I walk by faith and not by sight. So that's the way I I do ministry, that's the way I'm involved in proclaiming Jesus, I walk by faith and not by sight. You see, Paul had never seen Jesus on earth. He had a marvelous vision of him on the road to Damascus when Jesus called him into ministry. He says, I walk by faith, not by sight. I walk by the fact that I have an eternal hope that I am his. And he moves on down into verses 11 through 21. And this morning I just really want to concentrate on the two verses in the middle. Verses 14 and 15. 
Let's read these together. For the love of Christ controls us, or the love of Christ compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, the overwhelming motivation of Paul's heart was Christ's love. This word compel or control is is not used very often in the New Testament. It's used on 12 occasions. And in those 12 occasions, there's eight different types of meaning that it could have. Paul uses it twice, here and in Philippians 1.23. And I, I guess the real essence of what he's saying is here, this love of Christ should compel to control me in such a way that it is the foundation for all my actions. It is the impulse, it is the desire for my activity. It means Christ's love should urge me, should impel me to do something. And that's the heart of his motivation. And I guess the question there is, for you and I as followers of Christ, is that the heart of our motivation? Are we compelled and controlled by uh, by Christ's love? Are we compelled and controlled by his love as seen, as Paul says, that he died for all? That he is the atoning sacrifice for sin? (coughs) You see, the wonderful thing is when we put our faith and trust in Christ, our sins are dealt with. They're removed from us. God sees us through Christ's righteousness, his perfect sacrifice. And that should compel us to serve and worship him and to make him known. Because that's what he says in verse 15. He he says, this is a historical fact. Christ's death and resurrection on the cross is the thing that drives me forward. Why? So I no longer live for myself, but live for him. Notice that change. This grace of God that permeates my life should be such a thing that I live for him. And then he goes on in this section and he says, living for him looks like this. You are a new creation, so you don't act as though you weren't. This new creation is from God. He's the catalyst in your heart and soul. He's the one that reconciles you to Christ. Therefore, you must be ministers of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means we are to make Christ known. It means we are to share Christ's love. We are to share the the fact that he forgives. We are to share the fact that we must repent. We must share the fact that Christ's forgiveness is sufficient for our salvation. We are to be ambassadors, his representatives. And then there's a charge at the start of chapter 6, verse 1. 
He says, because of all this, because of Christ's love compelling you, be sure that you do not receive the grace of God in vain. Be sure you don't gloss over this grace. Don't waste God's grace in your life. Live for him. Make him known. We just want to pass it on to you. This is the instruction from God's word. Whenever we talk about vision, these things are just words that, that yeah, have been drawn by Scripture. But at the heart of it is God's Spirit working in your heart, compelled, constrained by His love to make Him known. God's grace is poured into your heart by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for this express purpose, to be a witness for him. We want to wrestle with that this year. Paul's going to talk about that shortly. Last year we looked at the book of Luke. We looked about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This year we're looking at the book of Acts, what it means to be his witness. You know, the superabounding love of Christ has set you free. His redemptive power has given you life. Surely that's a motivation for sharing with your neighbours, with your friends, with your enemies, with whoever God places in your circle of influence. Remember your salvation and share it. That's what it means to make Christ known. Thanks, guys. You've got a night. And there's the hush as the PowerPoint gets ready. Good morning, everyone. My name's Paul. I'm one of the elders here, um, a member of the COM as well. And it's my job to try to pull together everything that's been spoken about um, and sung about today. And so hopefully it's in a package that makes sense to you and, I can un- and you can understand how it's going to impact and relate to you through 2016, whether you're young or... Oh, I shouldn't say old over there. Wherever you sit on the spectrum, it's probably a more diplomatic way of doing that. Now, you might be thinking, where on earth this statement came from? And that tells you you probably weren't here last Vision Sunday in 2015 because we actually adopted this statement uh, as the mission statement for the church last year. Um, Shabu talked about the history that have led us to this point, and a lot of that history drove out of a mission that was born out of this place and acquiring this place and building this place back in the 80s. I was a little kid when they were digging the hole, so I think, think it must have been in the 80s. And the decision was made in the lead up to 2015 as a leadership team, it's probably time to relook at our mission statement and our vision statement and make sure it's aligned with where we're at at the church, make sure it's current and make sure it, it, it represents the heart of who we are as a people of God. And that's where this statement came from. And it was adopted last year in 2015. And it was adopted from a heart that wanted to make Christ known. It wanted us to, while doing that, to be transformed ourselves through God's Holy Spirit, which does that work. And ultimately, all these things are for God's glory. That's why that statement exists. And you remember, hopefully you remember, I was up here in Vision Sunday at the start, 2015, and and, um, highlighted the fact that we put together a five-year plan for the church that actually went through to 2020. And that's actually bundled up in a document that's available for you where it breaks down each individual ministry 
And it talks about how those ministries are going to be, hopefully, in God's grace, aligned with this vision over the next five years. Now, these documents are always written in pencil, very lightly in pencil, so they're easy to rub out. Uh, Because things change, circumstances change. And even through 2015, we saw things change. And so at the end of 2015, or sorry, in January of this year, the elders got together and we started to look at it again and do that exercise. What do we need to rub out? What do we need to adjust? And what needs to be our focus for this year? Okay. Because in last year, when we put together this five-year plan, it was a one, three, and five-year plan. We're in year two. So it was an interesting process to come in and say, well, this is where we said we'd be in 2015. This is where we said we'd be at the end of 2017. What does that mean for us in 2016? And what came out overwhelmingly from that discussion is what we want to be the focus and what we're praying will be the focus not just for the leadership team but for all of us here as a congregation that the focus ultimately through 2016, the trademark of 2016 would be making Christ known, would be the first element, if if nothing else, at least the first element of that mission statement. We want to make sure that in whatever we're doing as part of mission where we're heading through 2016, the focus is making him known. You might say, well, why didn't we do that last year? Well, last year we set the framework for a lot of what we intend to roll out this year. Last year we were getting ministries up and running. We were firming down leadership teams where there were changes in certain areas. We were praying through how this process would work as a church. And so now uh, as a leadership team, we feel like the framework is set to be able to more formally push ourselves out into the community in, in Kilsyth, in Melbourne, and to the ends of the earth as our missions go and serve in all parts of the world. So that's why we're here. This isn't actually isn't anything new. It's a 12-month-old statement. But the, um, the priority has been set for 2016, and that is the real focus as part of this is making Christ known. And Nathan then shared with us the biblical basis for that, and that's so much of that bears out of our heart, knowing Jesus ourselves. That's got to compel us to get out into others, doesn't it? It's got to compel us. Because if Christ isn't impacting us and changing our lives, how is it going to? How through us are we going to try and impact anyone else? And it's that experience of the fullness of Jesus Christ and God and His grace and what the gospel means for us. It's the reality of that in our own life that then compels us to go out. And we praise a church that through 2015, part of the reality of that gospel has touched your life, so that you've known it for yourself. That was a big part of doing the teaching series through Luke is that we would focus in on this person, Jesus Christ, who takes a heart and completely changes it into something new. And our prayer through that series was that we understood Jesus in a fresh way, in a way that impacted our walk personally. And so now we want to take that foundation and the frameworks and the structures that have been put in place through 2015 and push out. We want to make him known, not just in this building, but in every building that we have access to and every community that's around us so that they can come and hear about the reality and the change that Jesus has done for us and how Jesus doesn't just change hearts, he changes eternal destinies. So what will that look like in 2016? You might be saying, I should have said this actually before I kind of jump back, a question, for those of you who are quite astute and have been listening to what's been said up the front, you might be thinking, well, where do the 3Ds sit into this? We've been talking about 3Ds for a while. I thought the 3Ds were our mission statement. Now we're talking about some other statement. The reality is the 3Ds aren't really a mission statement. They're a means to an end. The 3Ds is the structure by which we want the church to be able to work towards the overall mission. And the overall mission 
is to make Christ known whilst we're being transformed by Spirit for God's glory. How do we do that? We declare God, we declare Jesus Christ, we disciple others, and we deploy people to make him known. Those three Ds are still active. They're still extremely applicable. Our five-year plan, if you look at that document, is all based and structured around the three Ds. And what I'm going to say this morning to you in terms of how we're going to roll out this, um, this plan for 2016 about making Christ known, it's still structured around the three Ds because that's the framework by which we operate, but it's just a means to an end. And it's a means in order to give effect to that end, the end that is making Christ known so that he could change people's hearts and lives and eternities forever. So, declaration. What does making Christ known in 2016 mean in terms of declaration? Well, we've already touched on the first point. It means a teaching series now that's going to follow straight on from Luke, where we've learnt about the person Jesus Christ. We're going to follow on to a series in Acts, where we're going to observe and learn and dialogue, both from up the front, but also in our small groups, about how the early church went about making Christ known. What difference Jesus made to them and how Jesus' love then compelled them to get out to Judah, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's where we're starting this year. Next week? Next week. We're starting next week. We're getting straight into it in a series in Acts. And then that will flow through our small group ministries as well. Night services. Now, they won't formally follow the same teaching series. They'll have a different schedule because they're going on a fortnightly basis, uh, sorry, monthly basis at the start. But the goal in that is to move it towards fortnightly by the end of the year because we see that night services being a forum where people who can't come on our usual time slot or who, who uh, might enjoy from a slightly different atmosphere and a slightly different, um, slightly different way of doing worship, they can come and they can experience Jesus and he can be made known to them. So as that team grows and develops, if it gets to weekly, that'll be fantastic. But at the moment, we're saying, well, if, we can get, if it's fortnightly by the end of the year, that will be really encouraging. We also want to run at least two family-focused courses. But these aren't just... These, so we're talking about courses on uh, family issues, such as marriages, parenting. Uh, we want them to be continually run at this place because we are such a young family church. And marriages need to be protected, um, and our kids need to be brought up in ways which are honouring to God. And so we want to keep that as a real focus. But again, in the, in the, because we're trying to make Christ known, we want those courses to be an encouragement to our fellowship here, but also be open to the mums that attend playgroup and to other people in the community who might uh, enjoy from that sort of content as well. And it might be a way of impacting their lives and what Jesus can, difference Jesus can make into their marriages and their family situations. Now, another way we're declaring him is through a new website, which has been launched, I think. If you Google, don't Google it yet, because I'll lose all of you, but if you Google after the service, uh, or just type in cccc.org.au, uh, you'll come up with an amazing new website. It's the beginning. Again, it's just a means to an end. It's not an end of itself, but it's a way of communicating with our congregation the truth of Jesus Christ. All our sermons will be up there. All our teaching materials will be up there. All the details of our services will be up there so people can see and they can get a better sense of what this place really stands for. Um, so hopefully they can be part um, of understanding what we do here and how Jesus might be relevant for them too. There are other elements of declaring Christ, but what I've tried to do through this is to drill down to a few essentials which we can kind of grab onto and which we can report back to you at the end of the year as to how they went. Discipleship. 
Well, the first bullet point there could have gone anywhere, really, but I thought I'll put it in discipleship. We want to appoint a youth pastor. We've been talking about that for 12 months now. That was the goal um, as we worked through last year. That was in our uh, vision document last year. It's been a process that has been continued through all of last year and is continuing, um, but it's been developing. They've had conversations with a couple of people. Those communications will be ongoing, and as a congregation, we'll obviously keep you updated as that process unfolds. But again, it's not, it's not about just having a person and everything is suddenly amazingly changing. It's about instilling our leaders with a support network that they have to be able to thrive, um, to a discipleship structure around them, um, to be able to build them up in their leadership skills and to make sure our youth are really being trained up uh, to be the leaders that we need in this church tomorrow, not just today. So that process is, is, is well underway now and we are praying that it will um, have an outcome at least within the first half of this year. Now we're going to hold some basic faith small groups as well. And these ones are more evangelistically focused. They're not going to follow the teaching series here because there's something different. You know, you've often heard about Alpha courses or Introducing God. I don't know if we, we'll probably, it'll probably be different material to that, but it's the same sort of idea where people who are having dialogue with members of our congregation, whether it's at the youth or the young adult level um, or beyond that, they have a forum where they can come um, and they can ask questions and they can understand who this Jesus person really is. Because if he's going to be known to them, the first step in that process is a forum where they can at least ask some questions about him. So we want to have at least two of those um, through the year as well. Then small groups and discipleship. We've got some targets here which are really for the leadership team. We want to make sure that as many of our congregation are involved in small groups and discipleship, for intentional discipleship programs. At the moment, small groups sitting around 30%, 35%. So I want to try and up that. If we can get that towards 50, 50% of our regularly attending congregation in small groups, that would be great. Why would it be great? Because we achieved a benchmark? No, because it means at least half our congregation is reinforcing the teachings that we're learning through Acts in a small group scenario as well. They're also surrounding themselves with a community of Bible-based believing Christians and they're receiving pastoral care, not just from the three pastors who can't get around to everyone at the same time, but from a wider support network that can support their individual needs at a more regular basis. That's why we want people in small groups. That's just the start of the reason why we want people in small groups. And the more, the better. Now, obviously, you can't turn to 100% overnight, though. So if we can get to 50 by the end of the year, I think that would be, be a great step. Similarly, 15% intentional mentoring relationships. I don't know where we start at the moment. Um, it'll probably be a, a significantly lower number here. But the point here is we're talking about intentional discipleship. Um, that's where two people are lined up and say, actually... Iron sharpens iron. Let's do this together. Let's pray together. Let's read God's word together. Let's journey through life together. Um, those are unique relationships. They need to be the right people that are paired together. The dynamic needs to work well between them. There needs to be a right pairing between age and, and maturity. And so you can't just jump to having everyone in those mentoring relationships straight away. We're realistic about that. But again, if we could get up to 15% of people who are involved in active discipleship, through a one-on-one forum, that would be a great step in the right direction and we can then build on that in the years ahead. That's discipleship. That's the start of discipleship. If you want more detail on any of these things, there's two documents that are made available to you. One is the five-year plan I'm talking about 
If you want that, just email the office and we'll make it available to you as a PDF. The other one is the, a list of action items, the detailed action items for 2016 that is a reference point for the pastors and the leaders. If you want to have a look at that as well and, and provide any feedback through, just email the office and we'll make that available to PDF as well. So I'm just giving you some highlights this morning um, of things that will hopefully be relevant to you and areas which will highlight things where you go, actually, I need to get involved in that. I need to be in a small group. I can be in an intentional discipleship relationship. These are things we want the congregation to be looking at and going, putting our hand up and saying, I can do that. I can be part of that as we work on this mission. Deployment. The two primary schools which we're targeting is Bayswater North and Bayswater South. They're local. We already have relationships with them, and we'd like to build on that. And we see that as a key part of deploying ourselves in the community. Now, many of you are involved in SRI, and you know that um, working with schools is not as straightforward as it once was back in the day. Uh, we could rock up with a van, run a program at lunch, and you've got 50 kids around you wanting to play with you all of a sudden. Um, it, it's more of a um, long-term relationship now. Um, we need to build respect with schools. We need to show that um, we love them. Uh, as a whole and as a community and we've built relationships with those and we want to continue that both with the chaplains that are in place there and they've also said look if you want a service then how about you just come and do a bit of a backyard blitz on a school not just a house come and do ours and we thought well that's a great way to serve them so we're looking at some practical ways we can deploy deploy ourselves in that community and just start building respect it's not the sort of things where you can put a tangible on it and tick the box say it's done it's a long-term goal and we want to keep that as a forefront Plus one camp- campaign. I won't go into that too much detail because Shabu will give that a lot more justice than I will. But essentially it's about targeting at least one person in your life who you know doesn't know Jesus and looking and being intentional at ways which you can um, try and speak Jesus into their situation and make him known. It's not about doing the world. It's about, look, if we can at least, each of us can at least target one, what a difference we could potentially make. But there'll be more information on that later in the year. And the last point is a general point we've all been touching on, mobilise to ministry. We have so many ministries in this place. We've got an amazing kids' church ministry. We've got an amazing youth group. We've got a young adult ministry which is developing. We've got family ministries, both for men and women. We've got a playgroup ministry, and I shouldn't keep mentioning them because then I'll forget one and they'll be significantly offended but we have a lot of ministries here at this church and there are so many opportunities for us to be involved and you know there's one trademark that goes through all those ministries they all come to the leadership team and they say we need some help we're doing this really we're doing it hard we're enjoying what we're doing but we need some more support so there'll be opportunities through the year there's always opportunities throughout the year for you to get involved but we'll be doing snapshots on different ministries so it um it makes it more real to you uh, but if there's any way you can spare some time and get involved we want the whole church getting involved we'd love it if our whole congregation was could at least say i'm involved in that ministry that's the way i'm serving beyond just attending on a sunday morning if we could get all everyone involved in at least one that would be such an encouragement to the leaders in all those different ministry areas. And it's a key plank of deploying people to make Christ known. That's all I've got on this. That was a bit of an abrupt ending, wasn't it? <laughs> Started pretty smooth, ended pretty average. Just go with it. Just go with it. Well, it's gone. No, but yeah, just clap me up. <laughs> no, you know, just say a couple... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm the only person who's been clapped off to get him off the stage. <laughs> if I just remind you of one thing, a couple of things. Uh, so if you're interested in the five-year plan or the action points for 2016, those PDFs can be freely made available. Just email the office. If you've got any questions on any of these things, come and ask us. Um, after service, all the pastors um, would love to hear questions. Um, so fire them at them and they'll answer them for you. Um, and stay tuned as to what this means for 2016 later on. I better get off the stage before I do more damage. Thanks. I realise uh, the time, but uh, we are going to take communion uh, together and we'll move uh, quickly through this. But it's most important because uh, we are here uh, to proclaim, uh, to disciple, to deploy, uh, but our personal relationship with Christ, most, most important. The crux of everything, it starts from our personal relationship with Christ when all these other things happen. Let me just share a couple of things with you. I don't apologise for the time. We need to do this today. And we read at the start of 1 John 4:19 that we love God because what? He first loved us. It's God's love and kindness that causes us to turn to him and to believe. It's God's love that through the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to love when we don't know how to love, when we can't love in our own strength. It's God's love that keeps us and holds us until Jesus returns, until he takes us home again, one of the two. What did that song say before? Once your enemy, now seated at the table, I love that line, we were once his enemy, but now he invites us when we believe in him to be seated at his table. When faith and hope are no longer required, what endures forever? Love will endure uh, forever. God is love. He can never not be love. It's impossible for him. He is holy. He is faithful. His words are true. His words are life. And he is worthy of all of our praise. And not only that, of all of our lives as well. And together as God's dearly beloved children, we now come to remember the greatest act of love in all of history. That was given freely <clears throat> to all people. Love that some would open their eyes and see and respond to and love where others would turn their back and not only reject but even mock as well. This act of love and mercy that God showed to us by sending his only son, Jesus the Christ, the Saviour, to be Emmanuel, God with us, living among us, to point us to God. This Jesus who then, in obedience to his Father, was willing to go to a cross put together by human hands and human hearts and then hang, suffer and die as a sacrifice on our behalf. It should have been us. And why did he do that? To appease the wrath of God against us, towards us. And to help us remember what God has done for us so we can proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. We take communion together. And this is the thing. We know that he sat with his disciples, don't we? And he said, broke bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. And then after supper, he said, took the cup. He said, this is my blood that is poured out for many. Drink it in remembrance of me. What I want us to do is to serve each other today. There are, I think, four or five stations around the place. There's no leader in this at all. Uh, and I want you just uh, in the next couple of minutes to come forward and take the bread and eat that and take the cup. Be thankful to God for that. Proclaim his death until he comes again. That's what we look forward to, isn't it, as his children again. So just uh, as you feel free, just come up but serve somebody else 
Don't take yourself. Serve somebody else as well. It's good for us to do that. We're talking about serving him as part of the body of Christ here at Canterbury Garden. Let's enjoy this time together and let's proclaim Jesus until he comes again.